0: Hi, it's Alex Ewell, host of The Readback. Last November, we brought you an episode about 2020's favorite home fitness company, Peloton Interactive. In the episode, we took a look at its surprising rise, its dismal IPO, and how the company ultimately bounced back. The episode actually inspired our latest season on how companies go public. So this week, we're airing that original episode again. We're back next week with another new episode. In the meantime, enjoy the show. (music) The positive news about vaccines has been the most hopeful story of 2020. The shots are the key to getting our lives back, and everyone agrees. Stock markets have soared with the COVID vaccine announcements as investors look forward to normalcy. But after eight months stuck at home, what's normal gonna look like? The answer to that question could decide the fate of investors' favorite stay-at-home stocks. And no company has more on the line than Peloton Interactive. I'm Alex Yule, welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back to the archives of Barons to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived, even as others failed to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, even though they hold valuable lessons for the future. Today on the show, how Peloton broke the IPO market and then came racing back. I've watched a lot of IPOs in my years as a financial journalist. I learned early on that when it rains, it pours. We've seen that in the last few months as a wave of companies decided to go public all at once. There've been cloud companies like Snowflake and data analytics companies like Palantir. And there's online used car platform Vroom. Two of the biggest IPOs are still to come later this year with DoorDash and Airbnb. While the companies span various industries, they share one ingredient, an audience of investors hungry for the next big thing. At some point, the IPO window inevitably closes, usually because investors get nervous about the broader market. Defensive investing doesn't usually mix with IPOs, and usually there's one moment when the switch flips. Last year, that switch proved to be the IPO of Peloton Interactive, the connective fitness company best known for its stationary bike.
1: If you remember the fourth quarter of 2019, we saw a lot of interesting news in the IPO space.
0: That's Carlton English. She's a reporter at Barron's. Back in 2019, Peloton's debut came at the tail end of an IPO rush that included popular companies like Uber, Beyond Meat, and Pinterest. The IPO that got the most attention, though, was the one that never happened. That was WeWork, the shared office space firm that tried to sell itself as a disruptive tech company rather than what it really was, an unprofitable real estate firm.
1: Of course, there was the whole WeWork debacle. And, you know, there was a lot of questions about investors' appetite for some of these unicorn companies.
0: By the time Peloton was ready to list its stock in September 2019, it faced a more skeptical market. Big promises were no longer enough. In its IPO paperwork, the company said, We are a technology company that meshes the physical and digital worlds to create a completely new immersive and connected fitness experience. A nice idea to be sure but many investors couldn't put aside years of fitness fads like the master, Ab Rollers, and Bowflex.
2: Every single time you squeeze master, you strengthen and tone right where you need it. So it's easy to squeeze, squeeze your way to shape the hips and thighs.
0: They all had their moment and their catchy ad slogans, and they were all still eventually forgotten. Peloton had something different, cool new technology. But that came with a high price tag.
1: There was a lot of cynicism about it and, you know, I'll count myself as one of those people saying, you know, $2,000 bikes, $4,000 treadmills, who's buying this?
0: Obviously, uh, IPOs have been in turmoil. Peloton is down again today after slipping in its public debut, raising questions about valuations and the investor climate.
1: Peloton, when it went public, it was valued at about $8 billion, raised about $1 billion. And its IPO price is 29 bucks a share, but its first trade was 27 So generally, that's looked at as an unsuccessful IPO.
0: When investment bankers price IPOs, they're hoping to see substantial gains on that first day of trading, like 20% or more. When a stock falls on that first day, it's a failure. There's even a name for it, a busted IPO.
2: Gosh, you know, I really thought Peloton was going to do great. I always like an IPO price that you always want to pop on the first day. So I think it was it would have been a little smarter to price at the lower end of the range and hope the market rebounds from that.
0: The rest of 2019 proved to be volatile for the company and the stock, which fell as low as $22. And it all came to a head just before the holidays, when Peloton ran its now-infamous T V. A
1: A Peloton? Give it up for our
0: first You know, time. the one that featured a man giving his partner a Peloton for Christmas. Let's do the ad hit a lot of nerves around gender roles and quickly went viral.
1: In the weeks following the IPO, the company also you know, just had some problems. There was that controversial ad that ran around the holiday season. The fourth quarter was just a really tough time for the company and the stock, I should say, to get its footing.
0: As I watched this all unfold, I couldn't help but think back to the first time I spoke with John Foley, Peloton's co-founder and CEO. In 2014, the company had sent me a review copy of their bike. I was a lifelong cyclist, but the spinning movement had never really stuck for me. I had taken a few classes over the years, but at $35 a pop, I was more than happy to stick with my road bike. The Peloton was different though, starting with the giant tablet attached to the bike. When I talked to Foley then, he had recently left his job running Barnes & Noble's website. That business wasn't exactly a home run, but it was a learning opportunity he left to apply technology to a different, if slightly first world problem, getting shut out of classes at SoulCycle, the popular spinning studio. Hi, I'm John Foley, founder of Peloton. We set out 18 months ago with one simple goal. We wanted to bring high energy, indoor cycling class experiences to your home. We wanted to transform your at-home workouts. After a lot of research and thought, we realized- I'm generally skeptical when it comes to new technology. A month with the Peloton though, had turned me into a fanboy. The bike was just far more solid than your typical exercise bike, which meant you could really stand and mash the pedals. The secret sauce, though, was the digital content streamed to a 22-inch iPad-like screen attached to your bike. In addition to live or on-demand classes, the tablet had a leaderboard to track your progress against other riders. It reminded me of chasing down another cyclist on the road. It was genuinely motivating. Most mornings I've burned 800 plus calories before even leaving the house. I wrote about the product in 2014. I ultimately sent the company a check for the full cost of the bike and kept it in my basement. It was still early days for the company. They had 150 employees and eight stores. They were selling a thousand bikes a month. A $2,000 spinning bike didn't seem like an easy sell, but the company had sold me on it. I wondered how many others would be willing to set aside that much cash plus a $40 monthly class subscription fee on an indoor bike. After all, most people looking for an indoor workout already had their gyms. More on that later. From the start, John Foley saw it differently. For him, it was about more than the bikes. It was about the best instructors delivering classes directly to your house, all through the wonders of technology. I asked him, how far could this all go? We're in the first out of the first inning, he said. When I first got on that Peloton back in 2014, I was one of 50 people or so in any given class. Last year, by the time the company decided to go public, it wasn't unusual to see tens of thousands of people on the leaderboard. Peloton was happy to tout that scale in its IPO filing in the summer of 2019. Its members had completed some 58 million workouts in the latest year, the company said. We are driven by our members' first obsession and see every member touchpoint as an opportunity to exceed expectations, the company wrote. An obsession was the operative word. Members were quickly finding themselves consumed by the bikes. Obsession or not, investors had questions about what the whole enterprise was worth. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the IPO wasn't the Hollywood moment the company was hoping for. The stock fell 12% on its first day of trading. I interviewed Peloton CFO Jill Woodworth as the stock was falling that day. I think there's just a healthy skepticism in the market right now overall, she told me. I obviously wish we were going out at a time where the market sentiment was better. For the first time since its early startup days, Peloton was dealing with doubts about its business. A few months after the IPO, the stock had rebounded and was trading above its IPO price, barely. That was a positive sign, But the huge boost was still to come, and it was one even Peloton hadn't been counting on. With gyms still closed in many places, at home fitness is more in demand. And that's made Peloton one of the few companies to prosper in this economy. What's your take on
2: Peloton's outlook here, given that, yes, we're in unprecedented times. And when we come out of this, nobody knows exactly what the new normal is going to be and what New behaviors will in fact stick.
1: What we saw here is the tip of the iceberg, and I think the category's got a lot more room to grow. We did see Peloton post much better than expected fiscal fourth quarter results on both the top and bottom lines. That company actually swinging to a quarterly profit for the first time in the company's history as a publicly traded entity.
2: COVID has obviously helped give some tailwind to the migration of working out at home.
0: That's Jill Woodworth, who's been the chief financial officer of Peloton since 2018. She notes that the company now has over 3 million members. That's spread across 1.3 million connected fitness devices. Each bike or treadmill requires a subscription, but it can be shared among multiple members of a household.
2: We've grown our sub-base over 100% every year for the last six years.
0: Peloton remains a niche product compared to, say, an iPhone which sells roughly 200 million units a year. But let's put it into perspective. More than a million Peloton members can theoretically take a class all at once now. Compare that with the 30 people that fit into a traditional spin class studio. That's the math that Peloton has been pushing since I first learned about the company six years ago.
2: We bring health and fitness and wellness to a very large community. And the fact that We have created a convenient and immersive solution that people use and then people are engaged in. You go through phases where you're really engaged in a fitness program and then you fall off the wagon. Because we have so much new programming, new software updates, we're always trying to encourage people to get back on the bike.
0: As Peloton CFO, Jill spends her days tracking numbers much in the same way that Peloton members can track heart rate, energy output, and their pedaling speed. But of all the numbers, there's one she's particularly focused on.
2: I would say member engagement is our absolute most important KPI that we track.
0: KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator, and it's the way businesses gauge their success. A retailer might track how many shoppers end up actually buying a product or how much they spend on each transaction. Both figures are a proxy for customer satisfaction.
2: Well, in our most recent quarter, the number of workouts completed per subscription was roughly 21 workouts. And if you compare that to a year ago, we were logging about 12 workouts per subscription. So we've seen tremendous growth in the engagement with our products.
0: The growth hasn't always come so easy. I asked Jill about the company's growing pains, including very long waits to get new bikes.
2: I think we're managing the growth. We feel like where we've let down our customer is just the long wait times. It's hard to get out from under it, right? It's the third wave of COVID. And so just when we think we're well-positioned, right, obviously there are these other exogenous issues, but we are doing everything possible to continue to scale at the rate that we've scaled at over the last few years.
0: Customers looking to replace their gyms have reason to be excited too. Here's Carlton English from Barron's again.
1: They've really been able to become ingrained in the you know, exercise culture, and not just with their devices, but also with their streaming platforms. You know, A lot of people just really love the instructors and being part of that atmosphere.
0: Peloton has big ambitions, and they go beyond just being an exercise bike company. In recent years, all sorts of new classes have shown up on its platform.
2: Two, three years ago, If you went onto the Peloton platform and looked for a workout, you'd probably see a lot of 45-minute cycling workouts. Today, what you will see is obviously a very wide variety of cycling workouts. You'll see boot camp workouts. You'll see yoga. You'll see meditation, strength workouts. We recently added bar. We've had dance cardio, family programming. So I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that we've really done, I think, a a pretty good job in terms of broadening our content.
0: The company is also trying to broaden access to those classes. Most people can't afford a $2,000 bike or a $40 subscription. So Peloton offers a digital package that sounds a lot like a Netflix subscription. For $13 a month, anyone with an iPad or a smart TV can stream Peloton's classes. That lower price point has worried some investors who see Peloton cannibalizing their primary business but the company sees it as a way to eventually upsell you to their bike or treadmill. Like any good subscription service these days, Peloton knows your data. It tracks your personal records, or PRs, as folks like to say. Here's Carlton again.
1: People really get locked into the kind of numbers and performance aspect of it. You know, you're competing against yourself or you're in a team. There's the scoreboards. There's like all this numerical way of tracking, which, you know, for a lot of high achievers, you know, anyone who was like a straight A student or, you know, a competitive athlete or something, I mean, that's how you kind of motivate yourself. So I think their platforms are really good at tapping into that psyche for the athletes that use it.
0: Competitive investors have had plenty of fun watching Peloton's other metrics. I'm talking about the financial ones, like revenue, membership, and retention. On that front, Peloton has led the pack of the stay-at-home group of stocks. Here's Jill.
2: So our first quarter in 2019, our revenue was $112 million. In Q1 of 2020, our revenue was $228 million. In Q1 of 21, which was the quarter we just reported, was $758 million. So in 24 months, our business has grown nearly 7x.
0: The question now is what happens once the pandemic eases? Something that finally seems possible with all the good news about vaccines. The day Pfizer announced its successful trial results, Peloton stock fell 20%. It's since recovered some of those losses, but the issue remains how many of our lockdown habits will stick once things return to normal? Here's Carlton again.
1: The stock, I mean, obviously it has had quite a run-up, up I think more than triple since the start of the year. Definitely looking a little expensive, but as we continue to be in different phases of lockdown, I think there's a lot of people that are still interested in buying, whether it's the bike, the treadmill, there's that rumored rowing machine that seems to be out there. So I do think that there's still some good prospects for the company as well. I don't know that we'll see another year like 2020 has been, of course, but you know there is still room to grow, I think.
0: My sense is Peloton's rapid growth will come to a halt for a few months as people get vaccinated and start exploring the outside world again. I expect we'll get back to normal faster than we think, but our new lockdown habits aren't going away. For those fortunate to have the resources, we've learned new routines and new ways to survive some of which may actually be better than what we were doing before. Even as we return to in-person meetings, I don't see Zoom going away. It's made physical location nearly irrelevant, and that's a permanent upgrade. Same for a basement gym. Some folks miss those social workouts, but I'm not one of them. Carlton also thinks Peloton's moment will outlast the pandemic.
1: I think you know anyone who bought into it during this time is probably going to still be loyal.
0: People who have integrated Peloton into their daily routine are likely to keep on riding, especially since that $2,000 bike is a sunk cost. Traditional gyms, they'll reopen, for sure, but they have a whole lot more competition than they did before the lockdowns.
1: $2,000 for the bike, and then you know, $40 a month for a subscription. And for a certain type of really fitness-minded person who's maybe not going to a gym right now and saying, you know what, it is easier just to wake up throw on some clothes or even in my pajamas, you know, who's watching, who cares, hop on the bike and, you know, get a good workout in versus what people may have been doing pre-pandemic, which was wake up, put the clothes on, you know, walk or drive to the gym. So I think some people who might view Peloton as their main source of exercise, you know, maybe they do get rid of the gym membership or maybe they, you know, do a cheaper gym membership or they do, you know, sporadic classes to kind of supplement their workout. People doing those calculations, I think they can make it make sense for them.
0: Six years after I first tried Peloton, the world has changed in ways no one could have imagined. One constant, though, is technology. The best products manage to anticipate where we're headed, even without knowing the exact path. At the end of our conversation, I mentioned to Jill the first interview I had with her boss, John Foley, back in 2014. John told me, uh, I was just reading through the story, and uh, John had told me in December of 2014, you know, that we were on the the, the precipice of real change, and and his quote was, we are in the first out of the first inning. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, where are we in that game right now? If we were in the first out of the first inning back in December of 2014, what inning do you think we're in now when it comes to the kind of connected fitness or home fitness movement?
2: So... It's funny because I I like using that analogy too. And I I still say we're at the top of the first inning. You know, John even says quite boldly, he wonders in 10 or 20 years, are we going to look back and think it was crazy that we ever went to physical bricks and mortar gyms? You know, and 20 years ago, if someone said, You're barely ever going to set foot in a bookstore, movie store, or record store. You probably would have thought they were crazy. So I think there's such a shift going on. COVID's been a tailwind to it. There are almost 200 million people prior to COVID that belong to a gym, and we're at 1.33 million members. So it's really hard for me not to say that we're at the top of the first inning.
0: Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at Barons.com. Thanks to Jill Woodworth and Carlton English. And for more coverage on Peloton and other stay-at-home stocks, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. We hope you enjoyed this rebroadcast of our episode on Peloton. Just a note about last week's episode. In the earliest version of the show, I misspoke and said that Uber had hit $117 billion market value on February 10th, 2020. It was actually 2021. The episode has been updated. Next week on the show, Casper thought outside the box when it came to selling mattresses. Why was its IPO such a snooze?